0: inside church. Father, we just come to please you today. Father, we come to worship you today. Give you glory and honor today. We give thanks for you today, God. That we can be together. That we can magnify your name. Even online
1: and here today, God, we just lift up your name. Lift up your gates and you lifted up. Let the King of glory come. Lift up your heart.
0: young man. You know, Jimmy, when I had kids, I got looking older and older and older. You're getting looking younger and younger and younger. Is that the difference between having girls and having boys?
2: (laughs) I don't know. My hair's thinning pretty good. (laughs) I know. We have cameras outside and I was replacing the battery in one and I had that and then I had my phone out and then I'm looking at the live stream, and I go, oh my gosh, look at the back of my head. Because <laughs> you, otherwise you don't see it, right? You've got to put a hat on. All right, good morning, church. Uh, just a couple announcements. Uh, We've got two Bible studies going right now. There is the awe of God in that Sunday mornings with Miss Jerry at 9 a.m. encourage you guys to come to that. And don't give the enemy a seat at your table. And that's Wednesday night's Bible study, from six to seven thirty. Now, also for you refreshies—no, you refresh seniors. <laughs> there's, there's a potluck coming up this Thursday. And remember, it's chili and cornbread. Yummy, yummy. The uh, oh, as a reminder, also too. Uh, you guys won't have a potluck November and December, but you do have a Christmas party on December 10th, and that's at five o'clock. So any, any questions about that, see Brendan and Lionel, and they'll get you covered. Um, other than that, I think it's time to meet and greet. So if you all stand up, and just a like a dozen minutes, <laughs> <laughs> no, five minutes.
3: For the first morning light, for the birds when they fly, for the clouds when they hang, So high in the sky For your glory I sing In a sweet baby smile I give thanks For those times when I've laughed With my family and friends For the times when I've cried Since your spirit again For your love that I find When your praises I sing I give thanks I give thanks for my clothes in my bed, a roof over my head, and a piping hot meal when our table is set, for a walk on the beach where your beauty is seen, I give thanks for the sound of the saints when they all join in. Proclaim you are God, the forgiver of sin, for there's hope in my heart that forever I'm yours. stars mountains valleys and trees for the years that you've shown only kindness to me
0: Thank you so much for paying such close attention. I appreciate that. Keeping your eye on that countdown so carefully. I just thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you to everybody online for being here this morning. God bless you. It is good to be together. How you doing, Bob? You got that new RV place built yet? It's not done? Another couple of days? Wednesday. 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 <laughs> a year from Wednesday, but Wednesday. <laughs> God bless you. Hey, uh, before we move forward, I do want to say a special, special thank you to everybody who worked so hard to make uh, Friday night happen at Pine Grove Elementary it 's amazing what just a few people can do I'll tell ya. i 'll tell you i don 't think anybody worked as hard on that night except for Coulter. That guy was doing uh lifting he was doing heavy lifting because the kids can 't over the obstacle course can 't get over this one little part and so he he 's got and then they kept on sending all the kids in so he 'd have like ten kids in front of him he 's trying to lift them over this thing and it was and it was all night long, and he worked his butt off. I want to thank uh, Pastor Anna for all of her planning and coordinating with the school, and uh, my thanks to Pastor Jimmy, who was running around crazy trying to make sure we had electricity everywhere. I mean, it was one of those nights, and the kids, man, look at I'm not superstitious. I don't believe in that stuff, but it was Friday night to full moon. Those kids were crazy, so I I'm telling you, uh, it was it was a great night. You know, I had a great discussion with a couple of people regarding uh, our faith, and it was wonderful opportunity to spread the word that we love Jesus and we want to invite them to him. So my thanks and then a week. A week from Friday, not this this coming up Friday, but a week from then, we are going to be up at Pioneer Elementary. We won't have the bounce houses, but we will do the cotton candy popcorn and snow cones up there for them. Last year, we were able to raise almost $500 for them. And and I'm telling you, it's a great event. They're a wonderful school and wonderful people up there. So if you can help us out, uh, please, please do. If you can bring some candy in next Sunday or Wednesday, we'd appreciate it. And if you can volunteer here. Um, we would really, really appreciate it. So let us know. We would love you to be a part of that up in Pioneer. Look, at, it, it's like the Bible tells us. It's not because we do popcorn that people are going to get saved. It's not because we have all the theological background and, and degrees in order to get people saved. It says when we love them, And so we love our schools, and we want to be able to bless them and love on them, and that's how they will know that God sent the Father. Remember, we talked about that last week. Hey, so you know me, I don't talk a lot about tithing. I don't. I, I, I know I probably should more, but uh, I'll be honest with you. If you are praying at this time about your end-of-the-year giving, this is a perfect time to do it. Um, as you can see, attendance has been down, and I'm sure just like in your house, the bills are going up. Bills are going up here too. And so if you're thinking about end-of-year giving and online, you can do the same thing by going to our website and uh, think about that, pray about it. Let me tell you how they did it in the, uh, in the early church. It says, a, it titles it in the New King James in this passage of Acts chapter 2. It says, A vital church grows, and with many other words they were testifying and exhorting and saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. This is what they were preaching in the church. Then those who gladly received the word were baptized and that day about 3000 souls were added and they continued steadfastly the apostles the doctrine the fellowship the breaking of bread in prayers and they came and all together they looked at signs and wonders done through the apostles and then i love this now all who believe were together had all things in common And they sold all their possessions in good and divided among as anyone had need. I'm not asking you to do that. I'm not. I'm not asking you to sell everything you have. But what they were trying to do was making sure that the people in need were taken care of. We are blessed that we have a church that gives to benevolence. And if we need to continue this ministry, we have many things on our plate. We took a step of faith in our reconstruction loan. Hopefully uh, by the end of next week, all these windows will be tinted. We have a lot of things going on with uh, the children's church and things that need to be done. This is a perfect time to be generous. I also believe when we're in a recession, when we see inflation out of control, when those things happen, when my, when, when our finances at home get tighter, the only antidote I know to it is to be generous because God takes care of his children. And I believe that, and I've seen it every time I take that step of faith and say, God, you, do you really want me to give this much? And he says, yeah. And then I hold on to it for a couple of weeks until I'm miserable enough, and then I give. And it really, God then always shows up. And, he could, and I feel like God sometimes says, if you had just done that a little earlier, Eric, so I encourage you to be in prayer. It isn't about what I want. It's about what God wants. It isn't about the amount. It's about the heart. It's about, are you doing what God tells you to do? And giving is an act of worship. It's showing that God is number one and a priority in your life. Do your offerings reflect that? That's all it is. So that's my spiel on that. And um, so let me go ahead and pray for our offering because I remember my grandma used to get, whenever she laid out her little offering envelope, she always put her hand on it when pray. And so, Father, that's what I do. I just pray for this offering. I pray, God, that you speak to people's hearts and that they step out in faith when this area where maybe they haven't done before. That there's somebody online today that is thinking about their end-of-the-year giving. And, God, would you just speak to them and give them peace about their worship in this way. We ask you, God, to give us wisdom as a, board, a church board and church staff. Give us good stewardship fundamentals. Help us to be able to use this money where you want it to take care of your, your, your house and your kingdom and to give and to love. So we thank you, Father, for the generosity of so many. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead as the ushers receive your tithes and offerings. I know for me, this past week, been thinking about the sermon last week. It's been stuck in my heart about wanting to please Jesus. And I know that one of the things He loves is when we want more and more of Him. Let's stand this morning as we worship Him. This is one of my favorite songs. So tell me if I'm starting to play it too much. To tend to do that with the songs that I really like
1: I've touched the hem of your garments I have felt the leading of your head but today my eyes look much higher the face of the great I am. Yes, I've touched the hem of your garment, and I have felt
0: before you just hoping that you are pleased with our worship toward you today in every form whether it is in fellowship and giving and singing or listening and receiving your message today God we hope you are pleased Father we thank you for your presence here today because we know that's where only real change happens Father, all of us, I think everyone in the sound of my voice, here and on the internet and everywhere else, know that there are scary times right now. There are people in your in, in Israel right now, frightened. There are people in Palestine right now, frightened. You are the God of peace also are the God who protects your people. We call upon you, Father, to be who you are. The protector of your children. Protect Israel. Comfort those families. Strengthen those that are defending Israel. Give wisdom to the leaders on all sides. And really, God, in this time and age, we ask for you to give wisdom to all the leaders of this earth. We know that some fight against you and some are with you. But Father, we know that you are still on the throne. You are still in control. So our prayers go to you, God. Be the Prince of Peace. Be our stronghold, our strong tower. Be our comfort, our healer are unified. We thank you for who you are in our lives. We pray for recovery for Denise today. We pray for health for Virgie today. We pray for those that need a touch from you emotionally, physically, financially, that God, you would come in, demonstrate your love by being our provider. We thank you for today. Thank you for what you're going to do. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Amen. We'll go ahead and have a seat this morning. I'll be talking in the upcoming weeks a little bit more about what's going on in the Middle East. I know if you're like me, you're glued to it right now. And so many things happening and so many pages seem to be turning and things changing as the days go by. But it goes back, it goes back, goes back. And uh, it's hard to fight a religious war with politics. It just doesn't work. But prayer always moves the hand of God. And I encourage you to be in prayer for the whole situation. (coughs) Look at we know. It's hard, I was just talking to Patty this morning. It's hard to separate Hamas from the Palestinian people. But we have to remember there are families there that have nothing to do with this. And then there are, of course, people that do, and the majority, I believe, do. And so we need to pray for wisdom and what we are to do and how we are to react in all areas. So be, please, be in prayer for Israel during this time. Man, it's a battle out there, isn't it? We are in a tug of war when it comes to the world. The world. The world. <laughs> I'm thinking, what was the comic's name? Norm MacDonald. He never, uh, he goes, I don't understand what happened in this world with Hitler, he said. He goes, the guy went to go to war, and who did he pick as his enemy? The world. And you think that would have been a quick war, you know? But no, it got close. And uh, it's true, we are fighting in this battle of the world. We are not of this place. This is not our home. Second Peter says we're aliens here. This is temporary residency for us. Our home, our permanent address is with our Heavenly Father. Amen? Amen? And if you've surrendered your life and given your life to Jesus Christ and repented and baptized, all that good stuff, you will, are also one of His sons and precious daughters. But we are still here. We're still here. So what do we do? How do we live a life surrounded by a culture That promotes and celebrates so much evil right now, and it happens over and over again. We're not—it's nothing new. It just seems that things are getting worse and worse and worse. Although, if you were living in the days of World War II, I'm sure many people thought that's as bad as it can get. But then we look around at some of the things in our world today, and we think it can't get any worse, and then it gets worse. How are we supposed to live in a culture that likes to change the morals away from what God says is good? Whether you believe it or not, us as Christians are slowly been been dragged into society. And what we read in scripture, what we celebrate in church, what we worship on Sunday mornings, how we live together as a culture is not the norm of society anymore. Where are these people coming from? Well, in the most recent Gallup poll, it was literally like three weeks ago, Gallup found that 81% of Americans expressed belief when asked a simple question, do you believe in God? That's what the answer was. 81% said, sure. But that was down from 87% in 2017. And it's actually that 81% of Americans that say that, and we know they say that, okay. 81% said, but you know that back in 1944, 96% believed in God. And it reached a high in 1950s and the 60s, both at 98% of Americans believed in God. And just because there's supposedly that 81% doesn't mean they go to church and act like we do. In fact, 55%, only 55% believe that Jesus is the first and greatest created being. Another 53% say, well, he was a great teacher, but he wasn't God. And get this, 3 in 5, that's 59, 60% believe that the Holy Spirit is just some force and not a personal being. So if we want things to change in our culture, we can't do it by voting anymore. We have to do it within ourselves. I've said it from this platform over the past 11 years, 150 million times. Barbara Bush said it best, when you don't change this country by what happens in the White House, you change this country by what happens in your house. And that's what we have to focus on today. But we'll see that in the book of Romans, and particularly chapter 2. I got a lot of, you know, I always feel guilty when I have a ton of scripture in my message, because then it feels like I didn't work so hard. So, but it also says the word of God never comes back void, so I'm off the hook, okay? So we're going to lead a lot of scripture today. In Romans chapter 2, the Christians are in the same spot that we're in today. It may not seem like, oh, back then it was so much simpler then. But the early church, Christians were in the same plight. How did they respond? And it shows us how we should respond. Because here we are in this world, and the world is crazy. Let's just say it like it is. It's crazy. It's crazy out there. But I also know this. Whenever I feel down about how crazy this world is getting, then all of a sudden... Something like, Nalani has a little baby. And it says, God says, no, we're not done yet. Otherwise, he would have ceased it. So God still has faith in us. Amen? Let me read out of before I get to Romans chapter 2. A little context here with John chapter 17, verse 14 and 16. It says, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them. Because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. This is Jesus praying. I do not ask you to take them out of the world. Darn it. But keep them from the evil one. They are not of this world, even as I am not in this world. So let's look what it looked like. Let's set the tone here. So before we get to Romans chapter 2, which is going to tell us on how we're supposed to respond. Romans chapter 1 tells us what the world is looking like in Rome. So this would have been the biggest city around, similar to maybe Chicago, New York, L.A., San Francisco, which has its own special little brand going on there. And in Romans chapter 1, Paul is going to speak to the Christians. We know that because in verse 7 of chapter 1, he says, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. So that's, the, that's us, Okay. Then it jumps down to verse 11. I just want to point this out here. He says this, I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I love that he prefaces this in verse 11 because how important it is for us to seek God, seek his spiritual gifts so that we can encourage each other in these times that we live in. Okay, so here's what the culture looked like in Rome in verse 18 of Romans chapter 1. You'll, and, and I know you'll agree with me. It's, just, it's almost like they did some time traveling here. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all, all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Suppress the truth. We are living in a day of suppressing the truth. Verse 19, Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his internal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Look at There are things in this world that you and I cannot explain. But God has demonstrated it. Every morning, this morning, the sun came up. Did you do that? My favorite line in an old, old, old movie with John Denver and George Burns. That's how old this movie is. Oh, God. And and George Burns is playing God. And uh, they ask him a question. They say, how am I supposed to know you're God? And he goes, well, can you make a fish? When you can make a fish, you come get me, he says. And then it goes on in verse 21. For although they knew God, they never glorified, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise... They became fools and in exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images made to look like a mortal human being, even birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over to their sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served created things, rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Verse 27, because of this, God gave them over to sh- shameless, shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were af- inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received themselves the due penalty For their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to depraved mind, so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. And although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. It doesn't take a lot of Scripture interpretation to say that that's the world we live in. Amen? I mean, even if you didn't get all of that, you know there was a couple of flags that went up, you understood. And it's amazing to me how much God just finally goes, all right, if that's what you're going to do, then that's what you're going to do. He let them go with their depraved mind. That's what that means. He says, all right, I'll wait. I'm right here. I'm still on the throne. I'm still in charge. I'm right here. So that's what is happening in the world. They're living near Rome, these Christians. And so Paul is setting up the stage to say, and remember, letters that that the epistles that Paul writes are letters that he's responding to from letters that he had received. So what probably happened is they say, dude, Paul, what are we supposed to do? We're living in this place. This world is crazy. So Paul writes in Romans chapter 2 the response. He goes, You. Therefore, have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you are a mere human being, you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, Do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches and his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepented heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they had done. <laughs> so this is where we get into that mess where they say, judge not, lest ye be judged. Right? There's a whole lot more to it than that. But maybe some of you sat there and I, I thought the same thing. Wait a minute. I'm not doing all that stuff. Well, yeah, I don't know. Have I ever talked about somebody behind their back? Have I ever talked bad about somebody? Have I ever been arrogant or boastful? Have I ever disobeyed my parents? Have I ever had no love or no mercy? Yeah, oops. Oops. So that's what messed me up. And Paul wants these Christians to understand that our human judgment, us judging other people, basically does nothing. When we do it, it does nothing. It does nothing to go around with a list of checks and balances. You know how we do it in church? See, we judge by the law. When you're judging, you're judging by the law. It's not, And we're supposed to be what? Living by grace. How do we judge by law? Simple. Here's how it happens in church. L- look at how they're dressed. See, our law in church is that you need to dress up a bit. Hey, look at, they cussed in church. We have a law that says no cussing in church. I kind of almost agree with that one, but, <laughs> but don't we have our little laws? We all have our little laws that we, in- and that, you know what that is? That's inventing new evil ways. So why are we not doing what we ought to do? We are not the Christian hall monitors, yelling at people, telling them they're supposed to have the same moral code as us. Paul says here that when we continue in sin and pass the same judgment, that we're passing the judgment on to ourselves. So if we're going to live by the law, meaning we're judging somebody by our little laws, then that's how we're going to be judged. But if we show people grace, God is going to give us grace. It's that simple. Paul goes as far as to say that we're storing up judgment and even wrath against ourselves. I do not want to see that bucket. All of a sudden you get to see your father and he goes, let me show you the storehouse of wrath I have for you. The reason is because we do the exact opposite of what Jesus does so many times. We do the opposite of what Jesus commanded us to do so many times. Why? Because we live in this tent that is sin in nature. Here's the main point for today. Very few people are judged into a life changed. Most people get loved into this great conversion. I believe that we need to have this love in us, and us as a church, because for the same reason, no matter how many times we explain Jesus, our mind still wanders back to the law. You know, the things that people are supposed to do and not supposed to do. Look, if you love Jesus, you need to not do that. And this is Paul had to say that if we continue in that. In Romans chapter 2, he continues in verse 7. I told you, you got a lot of scripture. <laughs> So if we continue to doing this, here's what it says. To those who persist in doing good, when you seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life in doing good. But for those who are self-seeking, who reject, reject the truth, that follow evil, evil will be, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. I love how God wants to include us all in the bucket here. But glory, honor, peace for everyone who does good. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Once again, everybody. For God does not show favoritism. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all those who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Verse 7 says this, To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. I love the King James Version of verse 7. To them them who by patient countenance and well-doing seek for the glory and honor and immortality eternal life. The word persistence is the Greek word meaning hominia. It means patient, enduring, consistent perseverance. We're just supposed to keep at it. Keep trying to do good. Keep trying to show mercy. Just be consistent. Be consistent over and over and over again. You know what I have found that that look at I, when I had a, a, a bunch of kids in my children's church and I didn't have any uh, adults helping, you know what I found? Worked with kids. It was pretty simple. We did the same thing every Sunday. We had the same service order, the same times. We did exactly the same thing. Preached different messages, had different stuff involved in that. But the schedule was exactly the same. The kids never, they, you know, they, were, they, were, they felt safe in the consistency. They obeyed inconsistency. They thrived on consistency. If you were raised in a broken or a a messed up home where there's one parent telling you one thing and another telling you another thing, inconsistent parenting creates insecure children because they don't know what to think. And I grew up in a place where my grandmother, who loved Jesus with all her heart, always was consistent. Where was she on Sunday? In church. If I got to spend the weekend with her, where was I on Sunday? In church. She was always giving more than she had. And she loved me despite the hellion I was. She loved me through my mistakes. She prayed for me through my arrogance. She never stopped saying, when are you going to sing for Jesus? Consistency. We need to be persistent, consistent in doing good. Glory is to be given to whoever does good. Well, how does that work, Pastor? I mean, Jesus said no one is good but God alone. Well, there you go. So goodness flows not from man's deeds, but rather from God himself. So once again, what is doing good? Here it is. Two words, following Jesus. Following Jesus is doing good. For us as believers in Jesus Christ, when we go before God, we are going to be judged by God. He's not going to see all the laws we broke. Thank you, Jesus. He's not going to get a list of 613 laws and go through every single one and do a checkbox and see who's got the average highest and the lowest. He's not going to say, okay, you did this. You didn't do this. You should have done that. You didn't do this. Well, Sorry, you're going to hell. What he's going to do is look at us, and he's going to see the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. God looks upon us through the eyes of Jesus. Why do we look upon society and people differently than God looks upon us? Why do we look through the lens of the law every single time somebody does something wrong? When Jesus looks at us through his lens of grace, we think we are in a tug-of-war match with culture and society. Christians on one side, the world on the other. Ready, go! But what I read in Scripture is when we are in a tug-of-war with the world, and we're fighting, we're pointing fingers, and we're going back and forth, Christians, the world, Christians, the world. I think, you know, when God sees us fighting the world like that, he doesn't have anything to do with the tug of war. I don't think God wants to be part of the tug of war between the Christians and the culture. See, tug of war was one of my favorite games growing up, not because of the actual game tug of war. I don't know how many of you guys, remember the last few days of school, we didn't get any work done? So they would put us out on these fields, and they would have all these field games, and they'd put classes against classes, and we got to play these tug-of-wars. So you go out in the field, and you would, and I would love how you get as many kids as possible on one side and as many kids as possible on the other side. And you got a ton of kids there, and it always is the best part of it is when it gets towards the end, all of a sudden everybody starts giving up on one side, and they just get dragged right across, right? You just see him go, sometimes there's a mud pit in between. That's the best. But as I got older, I kind of realized that when you start to lose people who just kind of give up, and there's always that one kid, right? There was always that one kid, no matter what, was not going to let go of that rope. The best way I can describe it in the world today as Christians, we do this. We're taking a stand. I'm not letting go of that rope. And what happens to that kid? Pew! He gets dragged right into the world. We think we're taking a stand, but we're not in a fight that God is even fighting. What ends up happening is God realizes that we're tugging against. What he's tugging against is not the same thing. Remember? Our fight is not in this earth. It's the principalities and the evil, in the air. And so what does God do? He lets go. I'm not going to have any part of this. And every single time a Christian gets drugged, about 10 yards down the field towards the culture, every single time when we point fingers, when we draw the line in the sand when we are dragging ourselves into the culture because they're living by their own law, but we're creating our own laws too. We end up looking like a joke as Christians. We look like miserable people. We look like bigots who are intolerant. We look like people who have no love, no grace, no mercy. And we look like we don't love people on that side of the rope. I don't want to be on that side. Of the road. I want to pull you across my side. We see this story exampled in the Old Testament. See, Paul's trying, before we get into that, Paul's trying to explain to these Christians, they don't need to point fingers in Rome, And we don't either because any judging they do to a person is about us. When we start judging, we're saying, I like the law more. So in the Old Testament, there's this great story before even Jesus came. We see a story of a prophet, Jonah. And sometimes I love the story of Jonah. And some people believe it's a a Jewish kind of fairy tale. I believe, because even Jesus quoted it, I believe it's a real story that happened. But sometimes we miss the ending of Jonah. Which I think is what Jonah is all about, is the ending. Jonah is this minor prophet in the Bible. And the only job for God's prophets is to do what he is to relay what God tells them to the people. God saw Jonah, and he wanted to share this message to this great city of Nineveh, which would have been like our Chicago, New York, San Francisco, L.A. He wanted to share this message. And God wanted Jonah to go and preach against the wickedness that they had become. But Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. That's a yucky place. So he decided to run from God. Look out whenever you know God wants you to do something and you don't do it. So what does he do? I know I'll go jump on a boat and I'll go the other direction of Nineveh. I'll go the opposite end. Well, he ends up being in this massive storm, right? And everybody on the boat starts freaking out, thinking what's going on, what's going on. Everybody's going to go down in the boat, right? Everybody goes in the boat, freaking out. And Jonah says, well, the reason that's happened is because I ran from God. So he's like confessing to him. Like, this is all happening because I blew it. So the people on the boat immediately became afraid. They didn't want to throw Jonah off because they thought he, they were, he would die if they threw him off the boat but he's God's prophet. What are we going to do? So they try to paddle back to shore, and then they realize that was impossible. And Jonah says, look, you just need to throw me overboard. You know, he was really wanting to die all through the book. Read it yourself. "Throw me overboard, and I'll be saved. So they pick up Jonah. They go, I would have loved to see that. No, no, just pick me up and throw me up. I would have loved it if there was no debate at all. I'd be, all right, that's it for him, (laughs) and just toss him off. So they pick up Jonah and throw him overboard, and then this massive fish it 's not a whale, the Bible says a fish fish comes up that God sent and swallowed Jonah for three days, three nights. He sits in the belly of this fish, which is really gross by the way. he, he would have when he got spit back out, he was full of his skin was sheet white he had lost most of his hair from being digested it 's so awesome <laughs> okay. And he decides that the only way he's going to get out of this misery, get out of the fish, is to do what God wanted him to do. If you are in a situation where you feel like you're in misery, then give up and do what God wants you to do. So he goes to Nineveh and he preaches preaches that that God loves them and that they should repent from their evil and wicked ways. He preaches against their wickedness. And they, they do. In fact, the the city ruler in town gets up and says, we need to follow the one true God that the prophet Jonah talks about. And a lot of people end the story there. Oh, isn't that great? The whole city became, repented, and followed the Lord. But there's a whole other chapter. It's my favorite one. Chapter four in Jonah says this in in three verses. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. Wait a minute. They all repented. Or following God. And Jonah said, yeah, I don't like that. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what, Lord, I told you? I told you this when I was still at home. I tried to forestall and I tried to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you were gracious and compassionate, God. I knew you were slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life for it's better for me to die than to live. He's upset because those people turned around and God didn't just zap them. That's what Jonah wanted. And how many times do we hear this from stupid Christians who apparently are following Jesus and they go, oh, it's God's wrath upon you. Zap. I just want God to kill them all we do. And you know what? A lot of the world thinks that about us. They think that's what we want, but they want them eliminated and wiped out from the earth. That was Jonah's whole deal. Jonah admits that although God was going to do something that was good, he wanted the city to be destroyed. Do we want people to receive death? Do we want people to have eternal death? Because I think the world looks at the church, and I think that they think we have more interest in pointing people's problems out than bringing the solution. And the solution is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the solution to all of it. Or are we going to be like Jonah? Wipe them out, Lord. Zap them. We have no problem receiving grace for ourselves but we have no interest in sharing it with our neighbors. I want to learn from what Paul says in in Romans. Paul is saying to the believers, if you want to play the judgment game, then you're going to be judged just as harshly as you're judging those people. If you're going to judge those people by the law, you're going to be judged by the law and not by grace. We're supposed to be treating others the way we want to be treated. It seems so simple. But in a moment of decisions, we like to throw that out the window and just forget those scriptures. Especially when someone cuts you off in traffic. Amen? (laughs) How would you like someone to approach you about Christ? If someone had something that could change your life forever, that could bring you peace, wouldn't you want to know about it? If you could hear about a first hand experience on how the gospel message changed their life forever, wouldn't you want to hear about it? The Bible says we are called. Not just the guy up here. We. We are you. And me. We. We are called by Jesus. I love it when people say, I don't know my purpose in life. Let me give it to you right here. To go into all the world and preach the gospel. All of us. All of us. How do you go, how you go into the world, though, makes the difference. We need to react to the culture with love, with grace. You know, I wasn't going to share, I'm going to share this a little quick. You know what, and this is, this is the boast in, in I didn't know this was going to happen. It wasn't planned. So I can't take credit for it. It's only God. When COVID first came out, I didn't know what I was supposed to do. Remember how scary it was in the beginning? If you get it, you're going to die. you get it, you're going to die. And um, she's not here this morning. Isabel, who I love dearly, at the time, uh, she was only, what, 110 then? No. (laughs) But she was, she was like 80, 90, 90, maybe 90 years old at the time. Yeah, at the time. And um, so I kind of took this thing in my head about how we were going to respond to COVID was, well, if it's safe for Isabel, right? If it's safe for Isabel, then it's safe for us. So then I needed to have direction. So I called uh, the director of the Department of Health and Human Services. Wonderful lady. I wish I could remember her name right off the top of my head. I, I can't. But when I first called, I'll never forget, she was treating me probably the way other pastors were treating her. So I don't blame her for this. Remember when, when President Trump said, we're going to open up all the churches. They can go ahead and worship. And, the, and uh, everybody else, and governors and all that said, said, no, 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 no. And, and so then I, but I called. I didn't know what to do. And she goes, well, we're not doing what Trump says. We're doing what Governor Gavin Newsom says. And I knew right there I was in trouble. And she was short with me, and it was difficult But as the months went on, and I would call her again, hey, what should we do about Children's Church? Hey, I know we're not singing, but do I need a plastic thing here? And I just kept asking her, oh, how are you doing? I'm sure you're, oh, and you know, as the months went on, we began on a first name basis. She started calling me pastor. We started, she started giving me guidelines that she didn't even know about. She would have to go and call and find out. We had the greatest relationship by the end. It wasn't planned. But while everybody else was fighting, I was making a friend down at the Department of Health and Human Services. And we obviously are at opposite ends of the spectrums. But we came together. And I think it was because she assumed, just as some other churches in this county were going, we're going to take our stand. We have, how we go into the world makes a difference. Let me say the main point again today. Very few people get judged into a life change, but most people will get loved into it. When we interact with the culture, and we do every day, we do it online, we do it on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, we interact with people on the streets, restaurants, coworkers, our neighbors, it's impossible to just stay in our Christian little bubble here at church. If you get into a hot debate, whether it's about abortion, President Biden, President Trump, gun laws, inflation, war, it doesn't matter that, you have an opposing, that you're have that opposing that person. It doesn't matter. If you just can't reply in love, then you're, whatever you say means nothing. When you're interacting with somebody outside of our faith, our goal should not be to be right. If your goal is to be right at any cost, then you've already lost. Because now you have somebody that will never listen to you again. We should be going into the culture not with a pointed finger saying, you
1: are evil.
0: But we should have open hands, willing to guide, willing to wait for every opportunity to share our life change, to show true love at every moment. I always was shocked I was always shocked at parents when they were upset at how, what choices their children made. And they would draw a line, not in my house. As long as ah, you live under my roof, you live under my rules. And if you're going to do that, get out. That's, so you're teaching them, it's not unconditional love, it's conditional. When you do that, you are chasing them away. And believe me, my daughters made some pretty stupid choices because they were raised by me. (laughs) But when we saw Alicia or Rebecca making a bad choice, instead of just drilling them of how wrong or stupid or dumb they are, we had to get closer. We had to love them more because we knew the bottom was going to fall out. And when the bottom falls out, who do you want them to go to? Their friends that still love them or you? It's the same in the world today. We know this. We've seen it. 9-11. Churches were full after 9-11. The bottom dropped out. They went to where they thought they could find peace. They went when we were consistently loving them. And then COVID comes. And what did we do? We shunned everybody. We said, no, we got to do things our way. And we're being pushed aside because we forget the bottom's going to drop out out there one day. And where are they going to go? And there will be a day when Jesus Christ returns and they start seeing all of us disappear. Where are they going to go? It's too late. We have to love them. We should be going into the culture with open hands. We do this because we need to deeply care about our neighbors. So quickly, how do we do that? How do I love these crazy, weird people? How do I love these people that I really don't want to be a part of? And we had a thing. I'll go back to my girls. We had a thing. We told our girls, you need to be friends with anybody. Friends to anybody, I would say. But having friends in your life is different. Let me word it this way. There were certain people that my girls couldn't go and spend the night at their house. But there was no one that couldn't spend the night at our house. It's very important to be good friends to people. But you to be very picky who you are friends with. I'll quote the famous theologian Bill Murray in his first movie Meatballs and he was trying to talk to this kid who didn't have any friends at summer camp. He says, what do you want with all those friends anyway? You make one good friend a summer, you're doing pretty good. I still remember that. One good friend. Who do you let in your life? That's important. But on the other side, we need to react to everyone in love. So Jesus asks, well, who's my neighbor? How does that work? Jesus tells him in a parable in Luke. I love how Jesus does these stories to show us how to do this. And it's the parable of the Good Samaritan, and many of us know this. Behold, it's in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Behold. A certain lawyer stood up and tested him. I love that. I love that they had lawyers back then. It just cracks me up. Saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to them, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So the lawyer answered, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, with all your strength, all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, Well, you've answered rightly. Do this and you'll live. But he, the lawyer, wanting to justify himself, hello, said to Jesus, Wow, well, who's my neighbor? Then Jesus' answer said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, which, by the way, was a very, I love this story, so be patient with me. I just love it. Which is a very, it was, it was approximately 14 miles and it was rugged terrain. And it was pretty much entrenched like this and there would be hills on the other side and that's why thieves would come and jump you because you couldn't see them up on above. So what happened was he was traveling and probably happened at night. You never wanted to travel this road from Jerusalem to Jericho at night because of the thieves. But it says, it fell among thieves. A certain man went from down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves. And they stripped him of his clothing They wounded him and then departed, leaving him half dead. And now by chance, a certain priest came down the road, and he saw him, and he passed him on the other side. (laughs) That was the priest. So the pastor saw. oh, yeah. Nowadays, it would be, oh, oh, wait a minute. There's a dead guy on the side of the road. I got to put this on Facebook. I got to get this on YouTube, my TikTok video. Look, dead guy on the road. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at place, came, and he had passed on the other side. Ew. See, a Levite would be a holy man, and they had this thing, if you touch a dead guy, then you had to go through all this ceremonial cleansing and all this stuff. It was a big hassle. So he went, ew, and went on the other side. So as he journeyed as he was, it says, but a certain Samaritan. Now the Samaritan and the Jews were not friends. The Samaritans didn't believe the same things as the Jews. They didn't even believe they could worship in the same places. This is like the worst person in the world. If you remember, the Samaritan woman, that it was shocking that Jesus was even talking to her as a Jew. In fact, it was shocking that he even wanted to pass through Samaria. Shocking, talking to these Samaritans. So, but a Samaritan sees the Jewish guy, he saw him, and he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds. He poured oil and wine on him. He set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. He said, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I come again, I'll repay you. It'd be equivalent to, here's my American Express. Whatever charges he has to the room, let it go. So which of these three do you think was a neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. What we have to understand in the culture then today, that was impossible. This would have been hard. I mean, they hated each other. You have to think of the most disgusting, hated person you've ever seen in your life, and that's the person you're supposed to take care of. Think about what the Samaritan man must have been thinking. Did he begin to doubt his motives? Was he really trying to help him? Was he taking—think about the victim. Was he thinking this? Is this guy going to take me someplace to hurt me? He only put me on the animal to bring me to some place where he's going to torture me and show me off to his friends. But Jesus shares this example. Even in your hate, who is your neighbor? Will you be there for them in times of need? See, sometimes we keep pulling back and forth on this tug of war and culture, and we're pulling and pulling, and we're drawing lines. You can't cross this line, and we keep on pulling and pulling. We're just getting angry, and we're frustrated in the tug of war. In culture, when we're dealing with people, you know what we have to do sometimes? have to let go. <laughs> let go. Stop fighting them. Stop drawing the line in the sand. Trust that God has it all in his hands. And if you are lucky enough, if you are blessed enough, God will bring them to you. Or he will put you in a situation in them. You don't have to pull them over. You need... Jesus now and get your life together. Because people will not get judged into a life change. But most people will get loved into it. It's a challenge for all of us, isn't it? (laughs) I hope this week you are on the lookout for who can I bless. I hope this week you are on the lookout who can I share the greatest thing that ever happened in my life to. And I bet you anything. And I bet you it's true with me too. I, I don't want to even think about it because I bet you I ran into somebody I could have. I No, I, I shouldn't have said that because that somebody came to mind. <laughs> and I didn't do it. I'm not going to let that happen anymore. Just like that man took a took a chance in the story that we just read to help him. Come on, let's stand to our feet and You know, this is a good thing. Because here it gets the people that are in this world right now we are living in. The bad guys and the good guys, right? The people in white hats and the people in black hats. And it says it doesn't matter. No Jew, no Gentile. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever, whoever believes in him will not perish but receive eternal life it's a reminder to us all especially when we're watching on on television and the media about how horrible and there are, there's horrible atrocities that are happening and there's horrible things happening in that and there's a line in the sand and absolutely Israel should depend on himself. but we have a world that we need to love into the kingdom of God and not judge It's hard. I I can't imagine what they're going through back there. But it's essentially the same, not the same thing in that case, but saying we can't look at it as good and evil. We are either going to look at it through the lens of the law or through the lens of grace. That's all there is to it. So, Father, help us to do that. Help us have more love in our hearts for those that maybe we've struggled being around. Help us to stop fighting in this tug of war against the culture. Stop judging them and instead start loving them. Help us to look for people that we know need to hear the gospel. We are to cast the seed. You water it with the Holy Spirit. You grow it. We are to be fishers of men, but it's a catch and release program. We are to catch them, tell them about you. But we aren't supposed to clean them. So Father, help us in more grace than we ever had before. Help us to love people like you love people. Help us to look for people like you look for people. Father, forgive me for those times I I haven't put out that gospel message, that I haven't told my story because of whatever preconceived notion I have in my head. Forgive me, God. But instead, Lord, give me new eyes and new thoughts, a new grace-filled heart for those who need you. Give me courage and boldness, and give me your giftings of the Holy Spirit to encourage them. Give me your words and not mine to win them over to the kingdom. Father, the greatest story in my life is that you came and saved me. Help me never, ever to miss an opportunity to share that with somebody no matter who they are. Thank you, God. I would be remiss if I didn't take a moment and just say, God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy upon my life. Thank you, God, that you love me yet while I was still a sinner. Thank you, God, for that. Now, as you go out this week, give us those new eyes new opportunities to share your gospel. We do this in joy, with peace in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love you guys. Love you. (coughs) Have a great, great rest of the week. And uh, God bless you.